I think I am someone who launches very late because I want everything to be right and everything to be perfect. And I've learned that that in some ways is a strength of my business and in other ways is a weakness because when I do launch, I do feel like I don't have that cringing, like, oh my gosh, I wish that were different. I feel like, nope, that was as good as I could get it and I can tweak it from here. But at least I know I put the best product out there that I possibly could. Unlike you and I talk about this all the time, because you're like, let's build the plane and get it in the sky and we'll figure out how to land it once we're in the air. And that is just so not my personality. Jessica Abo is a sought-after media trainer and storytelling coach who uses her 20 years of journalism experience to help entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, celebrities, and philanthropists share their stories with the world. Through her one-to-one coaching and workshops, Jessica breaks down the do's and don'ts when it comes to PR and helps her clients develop the confidence they need to no longer fear or dread public speaking. By sharing her marketing tips, Jessica's clients leave her sessions with new ways to maximize their media exposure. Jessica also happens to be the co-host of our most recent podcast under the Entreprenista Podcast Network, Startups and Stilettos, where she and I uncover the stories of Entreprenista League members and share practical business advice. Coming up, how childhood experiences can shape your Entreprenista journey. The feeling of finally getting a yes. How Jessica is utilizing her skills developed as a newscaster to help others. Jessica shares her initial struggle to properly monetize her skills. And finally, you'll hear an overview of Jessica's services and her best tips and tricks for interviewing when you're on camera. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Just. This recording has been, I think, three years in the making since we first decided we were going to launch the Entrepreneurista podcast. And now here we are today, finally, actually probably three and a half years later since launching Entrepreneurista. And I am so excited to share your journey and story, not only because of the incredible things you've accomplished over the years, but I feel like we need to share our backstory and origin story of how we met because of an entrepreneur group. Yeah. And I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for your patience because you've been such an unbelievable friend and you champion everyone, but you've been on me for so long about making this happen. So thank you. Thank you for that. I really love you. (laughs) So I have to tell everyone how we initially met. Jessica and I we used to go to this monthly in-person entrepreneur networking breakfast and we connected there and quickly became fast friends in life and in business. And my gosh, so much has happened over the past oh almost a decade now. <laughs> so much has happened. Oh my goodness. We've seen each other through so many things. Yes, we've definitely been through so much together personally and professionally over the years. But today's episode, Jess, is all about you and your incredible accomplishments over your career because 
I know it was not easy getting to where you are today and you have so much advice and so many learning lessons to share and so many tools that you've now created for entrepreneurs to be able to help them get their business out there. So I would love to go back to the early days, Jess. Did you always think that you would end up here? No, I always thought that I would pursue the talk show route and live there forever and ever and ever. Because when I was nine years old, I wanted to be Phil Donahue. A lot of people don't even know who he is anymore because I'm 41. And at the time, Phil Donahue was like the end all be all talk show host. So most people today don't know who he is, but their parents or grandparents do. (laughs) So if you know who Phil Donahue is, you're my people. So walk me through your progression of what happens. You know, you're in school, elementary school, middle school, you have this dream. What happens next? So going back to those early school days, I would turn every book report oral presentation into a talk show. So my classmates knew that if I was getting up in front of the class to do a report, let's say it was going to be on caves, and I walked around talking about stalagmites and stalactites, I was going to give out rock candy and take questions from the audience. And then I ended up going to the Medill School of Journalism for college and graduate school. That's at Northwestern. But in my junior year of high school, I did a radio, television, film program there for a summer. And I fell in love with the program and I fell in love with the school. And that just confirmed that this was the path I wanted to pursue in college. And I chose to go to grad school because Northwestern's program has this opportunity for students to go to Washington, D.C. and report on Capitol Hill and at the White House. And it was just such an incredible opportunity that I wanted to do that before going into the real world. The only regret I have from college and grad school is that I didn't study abroad, but I was so intense and I just felt like any minute that I wasn't in the real world was going to be a minute I was delaying my broadcast journalism career. And I think I was intense in a good way. I I maybe should say I was very ambitious, but looking back, I knew that that was something I might regret. And it's still something that I do that I just didn't give myself a minute to breathe. I did graduate school the day after college, like literally didn't take a break. But that's how serious I was about pursuing broadcast journalism. And I just felt like the field was so competitive that the earlier I could get into the business, the better. And my first realization of how hard the business was, was really, you know, when it came to getting a job, walking across the stage at my graduate school graduation without a job in hand was, my gosh, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career because I had devoted every waking minute of college and graduate school to this one specific goal. And I had fun and I was part of a lot of charity events on campus and I was part of a sorority. I definitely had a social life, but Everyone, even then, who knew me knew. Like, if you knew Jessica Abo, you knew that this was her track. So I think I learned very early on that you could work really, really hard and still face tremendous disappointment. But that actually set me up for a lot of strength that I needed when I was actually working in real newsrooms, you know, for 20 plus years. How did you go about getting your first job after you graduated? So... I applied the old school way, which involved recording a montage. It was about a minute long of you doing different stand-ups and then three news packages. So news directors could see your writing and your on-air delivery and your personal style. And I sent these VHS cassettes all over the country. I got in my car and I drove for hours and hours and hours. 
And I would call a news director and say, hi, my name is Jessica Abo. I just graduated from Northwestern and I happen to be in the area. Like I happen to be in Connecticut and I happen <laughs> to be in Maryland and I happen to be in Virginia. It just so happened to be. And some news directors would meet with me and some would just say, oh, okay, thank you. Please leave your VHS tape, you know, at the front desk. And I got some job offers, but... I had one news director call me. He was supposed to fax me my contract on a Tuesday. And by Thursday, I hadn't heard from the newsroom. So I called him and he said, oh, yeah, Jessica Abo. Right. I forgot to call you. We actually decided we wanted someone black and you're not black. So we gave your job away to someone else. And like that was just normal. You know, someone else called me and said, oh, Jessica, thank you so much. I, I just wanted to let you know that you didn't get the job, but I need to make my resume tape. And I just went into the bin and I took out your VHS tape and I'm recording my montage and my packages over yours. So thank you so much for saving me a few dollars because you know we don't make money in this news business. So, I mean, it was just things like that. And I ended up getting my first job in my hometown. I'm from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There happened to be a CNN affiliate. It was like a hub. I don't even think these exist anymore, but it was a CNN headline news hub. And they, at the end of every half hour broadcast, some states in this country would have a five minute local news segment on CNN. And then the others would have a five minute entertainment block. And where I grew up, there happened to be a station that provided the five minute local news block. And I got hired for that. And that was my first job before I then left Bethlehem, Pennsylvania to go to Burlington, Vermont, which had been the station I reported for in graduate school. They had an opening on their morning show and I ended up moving there and I worked in Burlington for two years. What did it feel like when you finally got that yes and had that first offer for this job? Well, the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania one was really fun because it was exciting to be in my hometown. And there was this gentleman named Joe Timmer, and he had something called the Jolly Joe Timmer Show. I don't even think you know this about me, Steph. And it was a polka program. It was a 90-minute <laughs> live polka show. <laughs> I have not heard this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one day I happened to be in the newsroom, I guess it was for Halloween, and I came in a red cowboy hat because, like, my outfit for Halloween was a white jean jacket and jeans. Like, I looked totally normal with a red hat. And I sat down on his show, and we had such an amazing chemistry that he asked the people I worked for if I could come back. And then I ended up going back every week and co-hosting this live polka program with him. And, oh, gosh, what, what did we always used to say? Do you have videos I, of this? Can we watch? Is this I on do. the internet? I, do. I don't think it's on the internet. I don't think it's on the internet. But like to go to commercial break, we had to say things like heel, toe, and away we go, like things like that. And my parents would have Jolly Joe Timmer show parties, like the way people would have Oscar parties and Grammy parties. And all of like my family friends would come over and watch these shows. But it was so much fun. And I felt like I had made it. I was like, oh my God, here I am. I'm a talk show host. I'm just like Oprah with Jolly Joe, <laughs> you know, hey, but you it have, felt really good to, to, to do it. You, you have, have to, to start, start somewhere. somewhere. And, you know, the irony here is that I just always loved writing. I love telling people stories. And in in this job in particular, in the reporting job, I got to do the kind of writing that I loved. And then that really just parlayed into the Burlington, Vermont opportunity, which was really my dream job because it was a morning show. And when I first had the opportunity to anchor a morning program all by myself, I think it was for Thanksgiving. I think the morning anchor had the day off and my news director his name was Marcellus Parsons, gave me so many opportunities. 
And I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, I made it. And I remember doing like a really big scream just to get all my nerves out in the bathroom mirror before I went live for the very first time. But it just, it was an incredible experience. But I I sacrificed a lot for that job in terms of my social life because here I am in my 20s. I don't know a soul. I'm starting from scratch. All my friends now are getting engaged and married and you know, I'm far away from everyone and everything I know, but it really felt worth it at the time because of the community I built there and the experiences I had. And those set me up for my New York newsroom days, which followed. I went to New York one after Burlington, Vermont, and I worked there for 10 years. But I learned a lot about working with the police department and the fire department and, you know, thinking on your feet and all the things that come with being a reporter and a news anchor. And when we met, you were still working for New York One at the time when we first met, right? Yeah, I was working for New York One and it's really hard to make a living in TV news. So I was trying to do other things to supplement my income. And I had just become the chief inspiration officer at a tech startup called Aploy that helped people get jobs. And I met you and they were looking for someone to do extra content for their website. And I ended up interviewing you and Courtney for that. And that was like one of the first things that we did together. Yes, that's when you came to our office at that time. And then I feel like the rest is history. We started hanging out all the time. And then I remember when Courtney and I started doing more PR for Socialfly, our first business. And we landed a spot on Fox and Friends and it was going to be our first or second live TV spot. We hadn't done a spot. The first spot was Bloomberg. And I was like, Jessica, can you media trade me, please? I need media trading. And I feel like everything that you shared with me, I think we were sitting at a coffee shop near my apartment at the time in Midtown East in New York City. And you were giving me all the tips and pointers that really have helped me personally to this day with everything that we've done with all of our TV and media appearances. So I would love to hear, like, how did you transition or parlay your skills from, you know, being an anchor to then helping teach and train people like me who are entrepreneurs to really be able to get their story out there, get their business out there and be prepared to go on TV, go on podcasts? Well, it's it's funny. I don't think I ever fully fit into any newsroom I ever worked in. And I think that is true for a bunch of reasons. One of those reasons being that I never wanted the people I interviewed to look bad. Now, granted, if you were a criminal, I didn't care how you came across. But if you were a regular community member, you know, and phenomenal citizen in your neighborhood, I didn't want to be that reporter who stuck a camera in your face and just took whatever you gave me and left and put it on the news because I felt like that was going to live on and on and on. And I wanted people to feel good about what they saw. So I always spend time in my day job, you know, sitting down with people and saying, not say your answer this way. Like I never told people what to say, but it would be like, oh, I see you sweating profusely. Like, do you want to take a glass of water and, you know, take a break? Or can I get you a towel? Or your desk is a little messy. Do you want to straighten up for a couple minutes before we do the interview? Like I just tried to give people the best shot possible to, to be their best on camera. And I think that was just always part of my DNA. And I think also why my pieces took twice as long to put together than the average reporter because most people are just concerned about getting their piece done and making their airtime. And I just always felt like I really cared about the people that I was interviewing and wanted them to feel like when I left that they were really proud of the job that they did. And then I actually had a middle chapter before this chapter, which was I wrote a book 
And I went on a book tour and that required me to hire my own publicist. So now I went from being the person people pitched to get a story on the air to the person people were pitching. And that was very humbling because we got a no sometimes. And sometimes when we got a yes, I then had to go through the motions that my clients go through, which is, okay, what do I want to say? What do I want to get across? How do I say it in the best way possible? What do I say when they ask me a question that I wasn't prepared for? How do I think on my feet to come across eloquently and also feel like I hit a message that was meaningful for me to share? All of those sort of things. I mean, even getting on the Today Show and Good Morning America, like those sort of opportunities made me realize like, oh my gosh, this is so nerve wracking, opposed to what I knew the other years, which was being the person on the other side. So it was always a part of, I think, my personality to care about other people and to help them do the best job possible. And then having a publicist and being the person pitched made me understand that perspective, that I started to media train people when they were in positions that they were preparing for their own new segments. And I did a little bit of this in New York. And then I started to do a little bit of it when I moved to LA. And then when COVID hit, I had speeches that were lined up from here to Japan about my book, about philanthropy, about a a real variety of topics. But I had to reinvent myself overnight. And that's what made me really lean into the media training portion of my company, which used to take up about 20% of my time. And then the content and on-air appearances and talking about the book and speeches, that was the other 80%. And then once COVID happened, that flipped. So I started doing virtual speeches and keynotes and workshops about the book and other things, but that took up 20% of my time and media training then took up the other 80% and now it takes up 100%. When everything happened with COVID and you had to, as you just shared, like completely reinvent yourself, change how you went about selling your services and your business because of the the state of the world, how did you handle those initial moments and days trying to figure things out? Were you doing all of that on your own? Did you have people that you would talk to to figure things out? How did you go about that process? Because I know so many entrepreneurs really had to change their whole business models because of everything that happened with COVID. Yeah, I was really at a loss for how to get started and how to scale. So I just focused on the one-offs and I was fortunate in that anyone that I worked with then ended up sending me to someone else. So a lot of my business in the beginning really was just word of mouth. And I would say what took me the longest in the beginning was my pricing because I wasn't sure what to price myself at. And I did a little research, but you know, media training is one of those things like most coaching businesses are where people can charge anywhere from 50 to $100 an hour to $1,000 to $5,000 to $10,000 for the day. Like it really just depends. So I think out of everything, figuring out my my menu of my prices and my services took me the longest. That took me a few months to really figure out. But once I started figuring out the formula that worked the best with my clients, and then I put a pricing on that, then I I didn't look back and my pricing and my services have been the same for like the last two years. And it's a formula that I stand by every single time. And all my clients have said, I feel like I am ready to graduate and I got everything I needed in such a short amount of time. But that was because I decided early on, I didn't want to be 
changing the system over and over and over again. I wanted to find what worked for my clients first, put a price tag on that, and then stick with it. And sometimes people say, this is amazing, but it's too expensive and I can't afford it. And I say, no problem. Let me know when there's a better time for you. Or now that I'm a few years into this, I have other opportunities to work with people that are not as expensive as my one-on-one. And it just gives people more opportunities to get what they're looking for, but not necessarily at a price point they can't afford. So tell me who is the right entrepreneurista that should work with you and what do you offer now? Sure. So there's the one-on-one coaching and the way that I have set that up is people who want to kind of get in and out, you know, it's like the one and done service. That's for someone who's preparing for a specific opportunity or they've done this before and they're just looking to up their game. Then there are opportunities for people to sit down with me and we really do a deep dive into Why do they have imposter syndrome? How do they feel when they are getting ready for a segment? What catches them off guard? What could they talk about all day? It's an opportunity for me to really get to know the client on an intimate level and for them to, you know, feel like we've broken the ice a little bit before we go into the practice sessions. And then there are practice opportunities. And then I bring in journalists to also be part of the mock interviews so they feel like they're getting comfortable with someone that isn't me. And by the time they're ready for their on-air opportunity, they're like, oh my gosh, I've done this so many times with Jessica and I've done it with a journalist already. I'm ready for the real thing. And that's the one-on-one. And then there's a master class, which is five weeks long. And that gives me an opportunity to give a little bit more of an education into how the media works and how to pitch your story if you're doing your own PR why you might want to hire a publicist. What does a publicist do? What does a good publicist do? If you're going to do your own PR, what are the do's and don'ts around that? And then we move into your sound bites and we craft your sound bites and you practice your sound bites, but everything here is in a group setting. And I limit that class to six people. And again, you'll have an opportunity there to work with a journalist on mock interview day, but that's a lot more hands-on in a group setting for people to learn from each other. And that's less expensive than the one-on-one. And then I have a course coming out this summer and the wait list will kick off at the end of June and the course will be available starting in July. And that's for the people who want to fly on their own and download modules and take them at their own pacing. And that is even less expensive than the master class. And that will give people an opportunity to learn everything that they are looking to learn, but at their own pace. And just to note, we will be linking out to everything that you've just shared in the show notes. So it's super easy for our listeners to be able to find links to all of your courses and classes and one-on-ones. And just, I think something that's important to note Also for entrepreneurs who, you know, want to get on the Today Show, want to get on the local news, want to be able to get picked up for press segments is that the media looks for people who have experience and know how to show up and share their story and share their message. Like someone's not going to like just because you have a great business or a great story a producer is going to be sure that you're camera ready, that you know how to share your story before you get booked, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think at the local level, they're a little bit more forgiving and understanding, especially if you're new and your product is new and your company is new. But at the national level, like the minute I pitch to my Today Show contacts or my Good Morning America contacts, you know, sometimes I'll have a media training client that I think is incredible. And I'll send, I'll send a note to these people and I'll say, hey, I just media trained this person. Their their story is incredible. I think they'd make for an amazing segment. And the, the first thing that they, you know, ask for is, okay, great, can you send send me a clip of them in action. And if that person hasn't done any podcasts or local news 
and they have no clips to show, they'll often say, okay, great, try to get a local news clip first and send that over and then we'll see what we can do. But I mean, that that's not always the case either. Sometimes people's first on-air opportunity is a morning show or it is primetime television and it's just because of the nature of the story itself, of that person, the news cycle that day it runs the gamut. But for the most part, if it's an evergreen story, which is a story that can run at any time, they will want to see that you're camera ready and that you could handle yourself in that opportunity. So I know you teach all of these tips on your one-on-ones and courses, but give us a little sneak peek. Tell me some of your top tips that you like to share when you media train. Yeah. So in the course, go from camera shy to camera ready. I break it down starting with what you should ask if you're booked for TV versus a podcast, because a lot of people, for example, with podcasts think that they're just talking into a microphone, into a screen, and that is the extent of the conversation. But they don't realize, like you do, that you take a clip of the video and you post that on social media. So people don't necessarily realize that they need to come camera ready and podcast ready on the same day for the same opportunity. So podcast tip number one is always make sure you're dressed and ready to go, not in your pajamas and with dirty laundry behind you, because there's a good chance if you ask the host, oh, will will you be using part of this video? They're going to say yes. For tips for TV, if you are doing virtual presentations, you want to make sure you have good lighting so that you are bright and visible opposed to dark and, you know, really small in your screen. So make sure that you are eye level with your camera and that you know where your camera is on your laptop. It's the little green dot on top. Make sure you're looking at that as much as possible. Make sure you are facing a window, meaning the window is putting sunlight on your face opposed to sitting with your back to the window. That means you're backlit, which literally means your back is lit up and you will look dark. And in terms of what to say, if you are someone who rambles on and on and on, think about the questions that they might ask you, write them out on paper, highlight the words that are the most meaningful to you, and then assign buzzwords, like those little nuggets to each answer. So you don't feel like you're memorizing too much because when you memorize too much, if the anchor asks you a question in an order you weren't expecting, or they ask you a question in a way that wasn't written down on paper from the producer, you could get thrown off. So if you go in with a little bit more fluidity and you have buzzwords and nuggets that you know you want to hit a, you know, in that interview, the interview will feel a lot more comfortable. But I could go on and on and on. But those are just some. Those are such great tips. Thank you for, for sharing that, Jess. Jess, what would you say is the most meaningful part of your business for you? Well, part of why I started this was to help people who have stage fright and are turning down opportunities. I had a client that I worked with. She is a philanthropist and she had many, many big presentations to be giving in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And to see her growth from really like be short of breath and sweat and turn down opportunities to be honored and receive awards for her incredible philanthropic work to be someone now who can talk in front of 10,000 people and think it's the easiest thing she does. Like of all of the things she does, like this would be one of the easiest things for her now. 
that to me is so meaningful and rewarding. I had a client who we had our just, you know, meet and greet call and she had a panic attack on the phone, just thinking about having to do interviews for her book that was coming out. And now she'll email me every week, like, oh, look at me here and look at me there. And I think that's true for so many people. Now, not all of the people I work with have stage fright. Some people just don't know how to pivot a conversation or they feel like, they're going to be exposed and get asked a question that they don't want to talk about, which I call gotcha questions, maybe because they've had a recall in their company or there was some shady business going on with leadership and that person isn't there anymore. I've trained actually a lot of physicians this year and there were a ton of reproductive endocrinologists who were very concerned about doing a segment around National Infertility Awareness Week, let's say, for example, and being asked about embryo mix-ups or other issues that happen sometimes that weren't part of their clinic, but, you know, they thought they could get asked about and have to answer on the spot. So being able to help people just find their footing and be confident and share their story with the world is really meaningful. But also all of these people have worked so hard, like even the people who are listening to this now, you have worked so hard to do what you do. I am not going to school anytime soon to do what you do. So when you're asked to do an on-air opportunity or give a speech or be the recipient of an award, you are then able to put your work in the spotlight and help someone else and go back to the whole reason why you entered the space to begin with. And every time you say no, you're holding that information inside you. And that's such a disservice to everyone who could benefit from what you have to share. So seeing people go from camera shy to camera ready, like literally, and then just thrive is the best, best part. Because now I know that those people are doing exactly what they wanted to do from day one, which is do this specific thing and help as many people and reach as many people as possible along the way. I always say, you know, practice makes perfect. You do have to practice things over and over again to get that confidence, to feel like it's something that's second nature. Like you said, the woman you were training, now she sends you the the clips and shows you all these amazing things that she's doing. How long does it typically take to get to that point? So when you're going through media training, is it, you know, three sessions? Does it take months? Is there a, you know, particular timeline that people can expect? It's so funny. I think it's different for everyone, but this camera ready package that I do with the one-on-one, it's five sessions that we are together. And it seems like that seems to be the magic number. And I don't know why, but then I made my masterclass five weeks and that seems to be the magic number. And it's funny, before I chatted with you today, a client called me to say that they had just gotten off the phone on a pre-call and they were getting ready for a podcast and they had something they wanted me to listen to. And I said, no problem. And we were just talking about the fact that, you know, we were able to accomplish so much in five weeks. So I don't know, something about five seems to resonate with at least my demographic and the way that I've built out my services. But I would say for the people who will be taking the course, I do think that practice makes better for sure. And there are so many ways that you can practice that the more opportunities you give yourself, like for example, when you're practicing your talking points, I suggest having your phone on and the TV on in the background, like as many distractions as possible. So that if you're doing a virtual interview and your next door neighbor has construction going on or their lawnmower going off and you weren't expecting that, you don't feel startled. You're just like, oh yeah, this is totally run of the mill. I'm I'm, I'm prepared and can handle the situation. So I don't know if there's a, a set amount of time for people practicing on their own, but I have found that just this, you know, breakdown of five seems to be the magic number on my end. 
Jess, you started off as a journalist and now you are running a full on booming big business. What are some of the learning lessons that you can share with our entrepreneurs who have pivoted from a career to now building that into an actual business for themselves? So I think my Achilles heel is analysis paralysis. I think I am someone who launches very late because I want everything to be right and everything to be perfect. And I've learned that that in some ways is a strength of my business and in other ways is a weakness because when I do launch, I do feel like there, I don't have that cringing like, oh my gosh, I wish that were different. I feel like, nope, that was as good as I could get it and I can tweak it from here. But at least I know I put the best product out there that I possibly could. Unlike you and I talk about this all the time, someone like you who I admire so much because you're like, let's build the plane and get it in the sky and we'll figure out how to land it once we're in the air. (laughs) And that is just so not my personality. But, you know, I miss the boat because when COVID hit, a lot of people were looking for courses and a lot of people were doing virtual interviews and presentations. That's still true now, but it has shifted back to a more of a hybrid of back in person and, and remote. So had I just built the plane in the air and I got this course out a year ago, it would have been a totally different business experience than what it will be now launching a year later. So I think I've had to figure out that dance of when does being like this serve me well and when does being like this hold me back? So that's been like one big thing. So if you're someone who's a late bloomer like I am, just know sometimes we probably can move a little faster. And also on the flip side, know that you probably are crossing your T's and dotting a lot more I's than you would had you just, you know, built the plane in the air and figured out how to land. So it's not always bad, but I think at the end of the day, it's not always good. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be that it took me a really long time to find the key people I needed. So in the course world, there are some people who sit in front of their computer They just read over their slides and they throw that online and that's their course and they are incredibly successful. But I felt to do a media training course that I personally had to be on camera and use B-roll and all of the things, you know, B-roll being headshots and videos and visual assets that help bring the story to life so people could see what I was talking about. And as a result, I worked on a script for about a year for these modules And then I had about 30 people take a pilot program of what I was going to share, tweak the scripts accordingly, and then filmed them all in a day. And then just by the way luck had it, I found the two people I needed the year prior after everything was said and done. So instead of having like a smooth beginning and building from the foundation, you know, from the first floor up, I had all this content and then found an amazing digital strategist who builds courses and an amazing copywriter who's a course expert and helps think about courses through the user experience lens, things that I needed the year earlier. So I think, you know, the other thing too is don't be hard on yourself if you just feel like you haven't built your dream team yet and do as much as you possibly can and know that things are flexible and changeable and it's okay if it's not all perfect all the time because that, that's that been something that's been very hard for me to embrace through this whole process because I can be such a perfectionist at times. I also want to add that my husband has asked me for the past year, like, how do you, how many times do you think you took our daughter's lunch out of her backpack? Because we come home, the backpack goes on the floor, he takes her up to upstairs for a nap. And my only job at that moment is to take her lunch out of the backpack. And I don't think I went 
like the whole year. I don't think I had a two day streak more than like one or two times. <laughs> so I just want to put out there that it is okay if you are a perfectionist in some areas of your life and in others, if you are just, you know, a little bit more of a hot mess and, you know, if you need a village to get you through. I mean, I definitely have mine and I'm grateful that my husband is a unicorn and has a great sense of humor. But, you know, like I, the backpack was on the floor. I go back to my computer. I go back to work because that's my like 15 minute break to pick her up from school. And then it's like back to business. You know, I'm like, oh, it's fine. You know, like, all right. So the jelly sandwich sat in the lunchbox for an extra day. I mean, the world is still spinning. It's fine. (laughs) I was going to say before, though, Jess, the good news about you being a perfectionist and the course taking a year plus to get to where it is today is everyone who buys your course is going to have the perfect course. (laughs) I will tell you, I will tell you, I am really, really proud of this thing. It took really full two years to, from the the time a friend of mine said, you really should do this until the time that it will be out in the world. It was two years really to the nose. And, and I feel really, really good about it. I just, I have to laugh because when I filmed it, I was trying to get pregnant. And then when we connected with this course expert, She was like, you need intro videos and you need outro videos. And you know, like you're on camera and you're trying to look your best and feel your best. And like that is out the window because I'm almost due. So, you know, when my crew came back, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to (laughs) look look as good as I can, but there's no changing that I look like a different version of myself, but we'll take it. You know, uh, it took just as long to get here in that department as it did to build the course. So like, I will just be grateful on all ends. All right, Joss, this is so fun to do together now just because we know each other so well. So I'm curious as to what you're going to say. Rapid fire questions. (laughs) Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. How would your friends describe you in three words? Even though I feel like I could answer this, but I want to hear what you say. (laughs) Thoughtful, creative. Well, no, hold on. Let me take that back. Always needs Brett. That's my husband. But I just changed the words to pinks, just give me a reason. And then took all of the pictures that my daughter's teachers took all year from her class and edited a video montage. So right now I'd say thoughtful and creative because I the time I should have spent launching this course, I literally just spent making a video for four-year-olds, but I really <laughs> loved it. So thoughtful and creative comes to mind for this moment. But in general, probably always needs Brett. That's so funny. <laughs> I was going to add genuine and super smart and caring. Thank you. I want to keep it real. (laughs) What is your favorite business tool that you've used to grow your business? Canva. What is the app on your phone that you can't live without? Postmates. Coffee or tea? Well, these days tea, but not pregnant coffee. And do you have a hidden talent? Yeah. Most people don't know the superpower that I can change the words to a song on the spot. And like, it doesn't matter if you're getting married and you need to like make a love song done. If you need to get your toddler to sleep or to use the potty done, like, I don't know where this comes from. It must just be my journalism days, but I can turn anything into a song that rhymes to any song you give me on the spot. But I've been doing this since I was young. Like if my sister was having a bad day, I'd say, okay, go. And she'd be like, the right stuff, Nuka's on the block. And I'd be like, oh, 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 and just change it on the spot and make her laugh. So I don't know. That's my hidden talent. That is a good talent. I feel like, not that you have time for this, but you could start a YouTube channel for kids doing all those songs, you and Greg, because Greg does that stuff too. So I tell you, it's very entertaining in this house sometimes. 
All right, Jess. So that rapid fire was fun for all of the personal questions, but I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Let's do it media training style. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Pitches, long or short? Short. Make sure that you get the three bullet points across that you want a reporter to know about. And if they are interested, then you can send them more information. All right, good tip. Ready? Stage fright. Think of the questions that you hope no one ever, ever, ever asks you. Write them down. Think of answers to those. Once you have confidence around those questions, you are going to feel so much better about being asked about your company, why you started it, how you're different, et cetera. Most people walk into interviews very nervous because they are fearful that they're going to get a gotcha question. So why not just prepare for those so you're ready? Good tip. All right. Pivoting. When you get a question that you don't like, make sure you have a bridge, something along the lines of, I don't know that right now, but what I do know is, we haven't looked into that yet, but what we have studied is, things along those lines where you acknowledge, you don't dodge the question, like you don't say something completely off topic, but where you move the conversation forward. So just make sure you have statistics or nuggets that you're really excited to share. So if you get something that you don't want to answer, you can say... I don't have that number ready for you, but what I can share is, and that will get you to the next point. Such a great tip. I'm learning so much. Okay, ready? Biggest mistake. When a reporter at the end of an interview asks you, is there anything else that you would like to add that I did not ask you? Do not say no. We covered everything. Make sure you share, yes, we're relaunching our website next month, or we have a 5K coming up that we're so excited about, or you can go to our website and learn more here. Or if you had an answer in the interview that you didn't love, this is a great time to repeat it. And finally, how to maximize your exposure. Once your clip is done, do not think you can only post it that week. Look at a calendar year and look at all of the times, whether it's an awareness day, whether it's a holiday, whether it is small business day, doesn't matter. And make a list of all of those times that you can bring back that piece and share information, whether you take a quote out of your interview and turn it into a graphic, whether you repost the whole segment so people can watch it again. Find ways to use that material and bring it back all throughout the year. So what I have just learned from all of these incredible tips is that preparation is absolutely necessary. And I am so glad that you have taken the time to put together this course, Jess, because we are all going to learn so much from you and I can't wait to take it. I need a refresher. (laughs) Well, I'll take it with you. We can make it like a book club and we can chat. We can chat about how we feel about all these things. (laughs) Coming up, you'll hear how you can get access to start working with Jessica. All right, back to our regular questions here, Jess. You are a mama. You are expecting a second baby right now, managing your business, launching a new course, how do you manage your time, your schedule? How do you how do you do everything? And can you share some tips for all of us who are also trying to get it all done? Well, I I've learned that I can't get it all done in one day. And I I joke about how I lean on Brett, but we both have our own businesses. We both work from home and we both 
figure out the balance of who's taking what. And really, it's because of him I'm able to do the amount of work I do and put in the hours that I put in because he is so hands-on as a dad. But I would say that there's a huge part of my life that I dedicate to learning and researching about child development because I want to be a certain kind of parent to Alexa. And as a result, I spend a lot of my time when I'm not doing business and I'm not with her, learning new tools and new resources in terms of the language that we use around her and the understanding, you know, what four-year-olds are thinking and how they're developing. So that's a huge part of my life at this stage of the game also, but I really enjoy that aspect. You and I share tips and tricks all of the time about, you know, negotiating with a little one or new things that are out there. But I find that that's a really fulfilling part of my day, which I do like on social media, like everybody else on Instagram. They're the people that I follow and that's where I get most of my education. But I would say that I struggle with the to-do lists for sure. I mean, this digital strategist of mine some days thinks I'm her best client and other days wonders if I'm still alive because, you know, there's like a hundred steps to do for each step to build a course and launch a course. And I still am contributing content to entrepreneur and doing a bunch of other things. So some days, some things get a turn and other days, everything else has to wait. But I feel like if I am accomplishing as many tasks as I can that are the priority of the day. And I am being a present, kind parent to my child and a present and supportive wife to my husband. And somewhere along the way, I drank water and, you know, maybe walked around the block. Sometimes that's what takes the biggest hit because I'm not someone who's in a bad mood if I don't work out. I'm like, that's okay. You're a good person. So I probably could work on that <laughs> as my new, as like Sounds the like new me. thing once, once the course is out there. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I wish I were a little bit more like, you know, I am someone who if I don't run, I just am not at my best. This is not me. So, you know, I guess we all have our things, but I don't do it all perfectly and I don't do it all every day. And I think I've learned that as long as everything gets a turn and gets the attention it needs when it needs it, that's probably the best way for me to operate. Jess, is there anything that you wish you had known that you know now when you first started your career? I wish for the course specifically that I would have met these two women earlier in the process. I think I would have been in such a different place. And I think I would have a different understanding of how to build the course from here versus trying to mid-flight figure out, you know, the rest of the way. Like that is just so not my personality. So for me, I wish I would have met these two women sooner And I think now I'm learning a whole new element of this, which is marketing the course and business development. And they're not things that I love. So I've actually made the decision to bring on a virtual assistant to help me with that piece of it. And maybe in time, I'll grow and hire someone internally to help with the business development and figure out affiliate partnerships and things like that. But there's just so much to learn. And even though I'm talking about this through the lens of courses, anyone who's listening to this in their own lane might feel like, gosh, like I just learned so much and yet there's still so much to learn. And I feel like I live there. Like that is where I am 24 seven. There's what I know, there's what I don't know. And then, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I didn't know that. And I think that part of it, if I had to go back in time and give myself advice would be that 
section, like, oh no, I didn't even know. I didn't know that. And now what do I do? And oh my gosh, it's so stressful is actually a great place to be because it just means you're evolving. And that's all we can ask of ourselves is that we evolve instead of revolve. And I can tell you, I am a different professional. I'm a different person today than I was 20 years ago. I, I know so much more than I knew back then. And I've been able to bring the skills from then to today, but at least I didn't stay there. I totally hear you and and couldn't agree anymore. Jess, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? Being an entrepreneur for me means having freedom and flexibility to have the family life I always dreamed of and understanding that with that comes a tremendous amount of financial stress because there's so much inconsistency when you have your own business and there's no steady paycheck to keep you afloat. But at the end of the day, I get to do what I love and help people who I feel so close with by the time I'm done working with them that I feel like I have this huge extended family in the world. And it brings me a lot of joy and fulfillment to see people share their message with the world and do their thing and be so proud of themselves. Jess, where can everyone find you, follow you? And for entrepreneurs who are interested in your course, where's the best place for them to go sign up? So jessicaabo.com is my website and I have a free Get Press with Jess guide that if people DM me on Instagram, I'm at jessicaabotv. I am happy if they send me the word entrepreneurista or just free guide or, hey, can you send me that thing? <laughs> I'm happy to share it with them. But the free, the free Get Press with Jess guide is full of PR press tips and tricks. And you can get that from my actual website. And then perfect to chat about Instagram. Either you'll see that I posted that day or I haven't posted in three weeks. That is very typical of me on, on social, but at Jessica Abo TV on Instagram is definitely the best. And I'm Jessica Abo on LinkedIn. And I look forward to working with as many people as possible and helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. And I have to say, I, to all of our listeners, I cannot recommend Jess anymore. She is the absolute best and has truly helped myself and Courtney over the years and so many entrepreneurs in our community. So definitely head over to her website and go get that free guide and learn how to sign up for her course. And Jess also teaches in the Entrepreneurista League as well. So you can head over to the Entrepreneurista League to see more of Jess too. Jess, thank you so, so much for sharing your journey and story and us finally recording this Entrepreneurista episode. As I said at the beginning, it's been a long time in the making. So thank you again. I love you and thank you for having me. And I just wish everyone who's listening to this the best of luck with their respective businesses. It's sometimes a very a really long and lonely journey, but hang in there and just know that you're doing something that the world really needs. Absolutely. And together we can all do so much more together. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurstas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.